I believe what it means to be civil, it means who are those that are the most in need in our city? And actually to, to be political isn't to be partisan, to be political is to care about what, what's happening in your city. The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. At the Village Square, we believe big things can happen when ideas collide inside the bonds of mutual respect. We're building the town hall of the 21st century across the partisan divide. At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. When most separate, we gather across color, creed, and ideology. Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly. Welcome to Village Squarecast. This is your host, Vanessa Rouse. Thank you for joining us for the first God Squad program of our 11th season. This program is called Our Broken Hearts, Civility and Humanity in 2020. For our God Squad regulars out there, you'll hear some familiar voices today, and you'll also hear some new ones. For this season, the God Squatters you're used to will take turns hosting programs where they invite other faith leaders in our community to join them. So let's get to it. Here's Pastor Betsy Olette Zierden, the facilitator of this program. Hi, y'all. It's so good to see uh, some of you. I was telling Tim, I was looking forward to seeing his unmasked face. So um, you also will get to see some of us unmasked today. I wanted to let you know that I am on a family leave for a year. I've stepped away from Good Samaritan United Methodist Church. They have a new fabulous senior pastor. I encourage you to check the church out online on Sunday mornings. I'm um, looking forward to continuing to connect with my grandchildren and my friends and be available to my father and just to discern what might come next in a, a year from now. So that's that's my update. And I'd like for Tim to come on and, and introduce himself and then William and Dustin and Father Joe. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome. Uh, we're glad to be back. Um, fortunately, not in person, but happy to do this. We're thankful for the technology and the ability to, to at least connect in this way, even if it's not ideal and in person. Uh, I'm from I'm Father Tim. I'm from the Co-Cathedral of St. Thomas More. I don't really have any updates. I'm still doing the same thing. <laughs> but it's, it's really good to be with everybody and, and to be here. Thank you, Betsy. And, and somebody that you haven't met before, Reverend William Levwood. Good afternoon, everyone. Wonderful to be here. I'm Reverend William Levwood. I am the minister at the Unitarian Universalist Church of Tallahassee, and I see a lot of our members are here this afternoon as well. So welcome to all, all of you as well. It's so wonderful to be here. It's my first time on the God Squad, so I'm feeling a little nervous, but I, I'm going to do my best to represent the not God perspective, the maybe God perspective, the God but not that God perspective. Even, even perhaps the great goddess perspective, because Unitarian <laughs> Universalists, we have a, a wide theological window through which we look. So wonderful to be here. And now uh, Father Dustin from the Joseph House. 
Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Dustin Fedden. I'm a, a priest in the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee. Uh, I am, as, as Betsy just said, uh, founder and executive director at Joseph House, a ministry to those that are formerly incarcerated in the Tallahassee area. And I also serve at two parishes just south of Tallahassee, one in Crawfordville and another in Lenark Village. So it's good to be here with you all and thank you for the invitation. And welcome Pastor Joe from Truth Gatherers Community Church. Uh, hello everyone, glad to be a part. Um, just like Reverend William, this is my first time being a part of the God, God Squad panelists. And so I am very fortunate um, and excited about the opportunity to share and connect with so many great people. Um, I am bivocational. I work for state government by day and, in, <laughs> and everything in between is when I work my pastoral duties. I'm founder and pastor of Truth Gathers Dream Center here in Tallahassee, and also uh, the Victorious Church in Monticello, Florida. So father of two, a lovely wife, and um, glad to be a part of God's Squad today. Well, it is good to see you and to meet you. I'm meeting um, Pastor Joseph and, and Father Dustin for the first time, and I, I really want to hear more about your, your ministry and your missions as we go forward. And William and I have been working together with the Capital Area Justice Ministry. And so we've gotten to know each other through that and through the interfaith group. And one of the things that I was fascinated by when I first met William is he was referencing sacred texts that I had never heard of, but they were, they had deep truth to them. And I thought at the time that more of us in Tallahassee need to know more about the Unitarian Universalist Church as well. So we're happy that you're here. And, you know, this is about focusing on what we've seen that honors God, what, what we've seen through this COVID-19 and through all the other unrest in our nation, what we've seen that actually highlights mercy, highlights grace, and highlights the goodness of our neighbors. So I'm going to let Tim start, but this question is for all of you. Give us an example or, or, or an incident where you have seen the best of humanity in this last year. Where have you seen God at work in humanity. Yeah, I, I think for, I mean, I've seen, I have many examples of, of really positive things that we've seen here. One of the most striking things that happened was our, our campus ministry and our campus, they were just really devastated. Our staff, we have several people on staff, devastated that all this just kind of came to an end. Students got sent home and everything else, but they immediately got to work on learning Zoom. And we started continuing doing, you know, ministry virtually, which was like, it was just, it was amazing to me, like to see how these people, instead of like, well, time for vacation, you know, which was to be honest, sort of my like initial thought was like, well, I guess I'm going to be chilling for the next several weeks. They were like, how do we continue to do stuff, which I was really inspired by. But the thing that was most dramatic that I think all of us can kind of relate to was the images that we saw of cities around the world, especially in our own country, that were absolutely just, it seemed deserted, you know, like something from a from I Am Legend or, or some kind of apocalyptic film where cities are just completely empty, no, no cars, no people, and just sort of a, a very alarming and unsettling thing to observe. I think all of us can remember those images and be sort of like, is this, I remember someone saying to me, am I dreaming? Is this really happening? And it was really happening. And as startling as it is, somebody had brought this, had raised this to me that as scary as it was, as frightening as it was to see these images, it also, though, was a sign of love. It was a sign of, of care and concern because the reason there was nobody on the streets and people staying home and so on, which gave an appearance of, of fright, 
was really a sign of people's care and concern for one another, that we were trying to, especially at the beginning, not knowing a lot about this virus, not knowing what it was going to do, uh, our response to, to hide or to, to stay away from others, to kind of uh, protect our neighbor and protect those who were vulnerable was really quite a, a beautiful scene. For me as a Christian, I would liken it to the cross. Um, as a Christian, you know, the, the image of Jesus, we're so used to seeing it that it's kind of the background. We're not startled when we see a person who is, I mean, really the crucifixion was one of the most humiliating ways to die. I mean, he would have been naked more or less. I mean, people standing around laughing, mocking him, uh, the blood, the gore, the whole thing, the pain. Um, it's not a beautiful image in, on its own, but in a sense is a symbol of, for us as Christians, that Jesus or God dying for us, giving his life for us. And so even that symbol there, there is, there is in, in within it, the meaning of it is something deep and beautiful. So that, that image of those of the desolate streets, the deserted cities, all of this are initially frightening, but looking deeper into it, seeing a, really a sign of, of the goodness of humanity and the goodness of, of, of our country, our people, and, and throughout the whole world. All right. Who else would like to answer? Sure. Okay. Pastor Joseph, where have you, where have you seen God showing up? Um, many times I've been looking for God in individuals and and just to seeing that people are still finding room amidst, amidst all the unrest, the uncertainty, economic challenges, uh, the big, uh, should my child go to school or stay home, all of the anxiety and decisions. I was just blessed to be a part of a simple interaction where somebody was being cordial, where you seen morality in place or some level of hospitality. And it just did me good to see something nice. I was at the dentist. And this is not like I say a national type thing, but I'm at the dentist and um, I'm on my phone doing a little work or whatever while I'm waiting on uh, the doctor to call me in the back. And someone walks in who needs assistance, person who's older, elderly, um, is on a walker, need assistance. And I, had, I looked up, saw them, but immediately the person next to me ran uh, to assist. And immediately while I was going and I was pausing to pause what I was doing, the person went before me. And then I jumped in to help uh, because the other person was going before me and her. And then I felt like, oh, I should assist. And then someone else jumped in to assist, assist. And then you had like three or four people in all that one moment looking out for someone else. And so for me, I'm not also just looking at global things that we're looking for major change, but I'm just looking at micro levels where we can see people behaving in respect and honesty and humanity. And when I was able to see that, I, I told her, thank you. She welcomed me. It started a whole conversation. Before that time, none of us were talking to each other, just sitting in the lobby. But after helping someone, all of us all of a sudden started the conversation. Um, for me, that's God. For me, that's an awareness um, that, that God and good is still in people. And I think when you're looking for good, you'll find good. And you get an opportunity to be a part of magnifying that good or that God in people. And so I'm seeing God on local levels. I know we like to talk about global, but I'd like to see local things done as well. Absolutely. Well, we believe that um, focusing on, on local, spending time focused on local is time well spent. That's always been, it was a major theme of God Squad last year. And, you know, really your neighbors locally is where you are going to see the good and, and be able to do the most help. So uh, Father Dustin, Tell us a story about some goodness and some good things happening. Yeah, you know, there's uh, 
there's so much good. And I, and, and with what Pastor Joseph said, you know, if we're open and we, we see, we can see so much goodness and relationships and just the interactions. One story that comes to mind that I had a chance to see kind of up close and personal was, um, I, I mentioned I work over at Joseph House and we uh, have a, a handful of guys there that have served very long sentences, some of them since they were children. And during not only COVID, uh, but certainly all of the racial unrest and so many issues of, of concerns of injustices and, and justice that was going on over the summer, I had uh, a few of my parishioners in, in Wakala who have a very nice boat uh, and go out deep sea fishing a lot, a very nice boat, uh, invited all of the guys at Joseph House and myself to go out and I think all except for one of the men had never been, never, two of them had never really seen the ocean and yet they lived in Florida their entire life. Uh, and I think only one had ever been out in the ocean before. And so there we were uh, this, this beautiful day uh, in June in the Gulf. And we had a chance to see sea turtles. We had a chance to see dolphins. We actually went up to uh, one of the shoals there and were able to get out into the water the first time for many of these guys. And so here we had these individuals with the boat uh, come from a total different part of our culture and social economic status that took the resources they had and created an opportunity to experience nature in new ways for the guys at Joseph House. And what was most remarkable, Betsy, for that was uh, it was actually the conversations. It was just the time that we shared and many of those differences, I don't want to say they were erased by any stretch of the imagination, but those differences just became greater point of, of contact and of relationship. Right. Uh, and we all really, everyone, we're still talking about that one day out in the Gulf. And, and that was also just one of the things that we could do out in nature in the midst of the pandemic. So, yeah, well, I, I read on your website, the whole concept that uh, Joseph House does is this idea of accompaniment. Yes. And, and I want to, I want to hear if we have time to hear more about that. William, you always bring a sense of positivity into the room with you. So this should be an easy question for you. I don't know. Let us know. Tell us what you're thinking. You know, the first thing that comes to mind for me for where I see love, compassion, and shared humanity is just the fact that we even have hospitals schools, you know, these kinds of institutions to begin with, even before the pandemic, that's not a given, right? That's something that we have, humans have chosen to do as a community to support each other and to serve each other, both the most vulnerable, right? In the terms of the hospital, for example, and with the example of a school to lead us towards our greatest flourishing as human beings. So that's the starting place for me. And then, you know, it's interesting to notice how small my circle has become during the pandemic. So the examples I think of are within my own congregation, you know, how, how congregants are reaching out to each other, how we're making extra efforts to organize and make sure that everyone is taken care of, how we're taking care of staff, financially, even difficult financial time. Um, and then my own life as a parent, you know, my spouse is a chaplain intern, so she's going into the hospital as an essential worker to support people. And I have a second grader, seeing the teacher, you know, and the schools and all the things that they're doing, both for in-person 
students and for online students is just, and I know how much work that is, right? I know how hard those, how everything takes longer right. to do, and yet people are showing up to, to care for each other. And helping one another. Well, the example I want to share with you is I've been in, I was in San Diego. I have a newborn granddaughter. She's actually six months old now. I got to be there for six weeks. And everything in California was mostly closed, but they started opening up things. And my granddaughter, Ada, turned three. And so for her birthday, you know, can't have friends over really, but we did go to the zoo. And it was hot, so hot. I didn't know San Diego could get into the hundreds, but it did. And the line was so, so long. I mean, there's a part of me that's like, do we need to do this? And the line to even get close to the entrance was so long because they were doing health checks. So it was literally around the parking lot. And then you finally would get up to the entrance and they would take your temperature. And I looked around at the parents and the, and, and the people online and they were from different ethnicities, some speaking different languages, some having political t-shirts uh, that were proclaiming who they were for, who was not the same person I was for. In other words, there was great diversity in that line to get into the zoo. Most of them were parents and grandparents. And the respect and the kindness and the ability to hold that space six feet apart, to sort of smile and encourage the moms whose babies were getting fussy. I just, my heart soared. I was like, this is what we are really like at our hearts. We are good people that want good for one another. And that was just inspiring to me, mm. just absolutely inspiring. Well, we're all people of faith. Betsy, could I add one thing that I, I forgot to mention? Yes. It's a conversation. I think the other place that I really see our shared humanity and love and compassion and, and you know, to me, those virtues of love, compassion, and justice, that's, that's where God lives, regardless of whether we believe in God or not. So the one other thing I want to lift up is just people out there protesting for racial justice. That is, that's God, that's love in action. And, and I mean, I'm, you know, it's a little terrifying to go out, you know, right? And we're scared. I'm scared of getting sick. I'm scared of other people getting sick. And, you know, people going out and doing that and putting themselves at risk for that greater good is inspiring. Yeah. And, and we have a question about that later from one of, um, one of the people in our, our congregation, our audience. Well, we're all people of faith. And many of us have spiritual practices. And I was wondering what kind of spiritual practices are strengthening your faith or helping you keep it together? Have you shifted in any way? Has your congregation shifted in the way they support one another? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I personally need some help. I, I'm not no longer in my congregation. And although, you know, I'm still connected to the church. But I think if I, as a pastor, I'm floundering a little bit with Zoom worship, I thought, you know, there's others out there too. So can you help me out? Yeah, let me speak to that a little bit. We, you know, it was a difficult time for us. The first, uh, I think we went seven or eight weekends without in-person services, but we began having public mass again beginning in May. So fairly quickly. And we had to rush to, to put together a lot of protocols. We're still doing live stream masses as well, but we put together a lot of protocols. And what's been great, actually is how everybody's cooperated. As you know, there's a lot of diversity of opinion on all of this, um, constantly changing. 
it's been, you know, a difficult thing as a priest to deal with that, getting lots of emails. I'm sure all of you probably have experienced that on some level of sometimes criticism and, and um, some people supporting. So we had, even when we opened up, we had people frustrated that we were having masks and, and distancing and hand sanitizer and all that. And then we had people mad that we were even having masks again. So it's been a difficult way to walk, but I would say overall, it, we hear a vocal minority of people who have been upset and we try to respond to them as best as we can and acknowledge their, their concerns. But overall, like the people have generally really been cooperative. And whether they like it, whether they agree with it, whatever their opinions are, saying, okay, let's, we're in this together. Let's, you know, let's put some masks on. Let's social distance. Let's, let's sacrifice here. And I think and that's one way that we've been supportive. We've also called, at the very beginning, we called all of our parishioners, which is no easy feat. There's a thousand families here. And, well, we had a lot of people calling and just checking on people, especially elderly folks or people who can't get out, delivering groceries, delivering supplies things like that, especially in the early days when, you know, this is a very tense uh, and frightening time in the first several weeks, for sure. So that's one way we've, we've been kind of adapting and, and adjusting to all of this. How about you, Pastor Joe? Um, I think one of the first things I think that I began to kind of start a conversation with our congregants was the respect for choice. Um, with all the different options and decisions on um, having church, not having church, uh, is it wise to have church? Uh, how should we do it? One of the things I just really began to bring us back to was a sense of unity and respect for one another, meaning everyone's going to have a choice based on what's best for them. And having that conversation, I saw it kind of bring back the unity that was unfolding. I know for one thing, our church is always focused on a culture of unity and fellowship and togetherness and support. And then when you no longer... Uh, see those people. You only see them online. Everybody is not kind to worshiping online and things of that nature. And, and there seems to be some disconnect um, when you can't physically see people. So I start reminding them, reminding people that our connection was deeper than physical. So it became almost like a long distance relationship, right? So we're not seeing each other, but we're through camera, being able to talk, teach, train, worship. But choice was the biggest thing. And to start respecting people's decisions and what you feel convicted about for your family may not be the same for your neighbor. So let's respect the decisions they have to make and why they choose to go one way versus you going another. And I think that was important because... That's a good word across the board. <laughs> that's a good word. Yeah. And I, I think that's what we, we, we had to find out. Choice, respect people's choice. And when I started talking about that, I, I saw the unity coming back because we were fighting for unity. We were fighting for unity in our congregation. And, and now that we're getting ready to focus on coming back, still making sure we're you're unified no matter what, what happens. So I think that's one of the crossroads we had to cross. Yeah. Anybody else have a thought on that or, or anything else? You're, you're free to jump in if something spurs a thought. One thing I'll just say, not sure whether or not it qualifies. Oh, I think it qualifies as a kind of religious practice. Somewhere along the way, probably it was mid-March over at Joseph House, the backyard was pretty unruly, uncultivated. And so we kind of, you know, with the guys there and some of the other community members, uh, just trying to, again to think of safety and, and all of that, uh, we decided to go ahead and start creating a meditation garden 
So we spent a lot of time with hands in the dirt and planting and all of that, which is somewhat new to me. But it, it you know, in, in moments that seem to be where isolation is kind of, perhaps it's essential, but try to find creative ways to do things together. And again, in a, in a safe way. And so for us, there was something about, you know, all of the, some of the legitimate doom and gloom, you know, watching on television, well, what can we do now to actually create life, to create spaces of, of engagement? And so that was just one thing, creating a, a, a beautiful med- meditation garden. Uh, and then we've thought about doing that over here at some of the parishes as well. So I think a lot of people are nesting. They're sharing um, sourdough starters and sharing plants for the garden and sharing fruits of the garden. Um, and I think that there's been a lot of recognition that the neighbors that are right on our street or the people right next to us are the ones that um, we're receiving the, the greatest strength from. I mean, my neighborhood, like everybody knows each other now. And I'm not sure that was the case eight months ago. And it's, wow. there's like a more of a concerted effort mm. to know each other, make eye contact, or from a, from a long distance away, maybe even a smile. Betsy, I, I want to, where do you live? I want to move to your neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, Myers Park. <laughs> I, I just want to lift up what you're saying, Betsy, about just connection. I think that's where the focus has been for us in our congregation is focusing on connection. And that looks a lot of different ways. It looks like extra reaching out. I know just in providing services, I'm more vulnerable. Right. True. I feel like in order to bridge the gap, right, that this, this being on Zoom creates, I have to be more open and say, you know, uh, Kyrie was telling me just the other day that early in the pandemic, I shared that I had hit a wall and that, you know, I was having a hard time for, you know, a couple days. And then a, a, a few weeks later, I shared that I was, you know, a little bit better. I was like leaning into the wall instead of hitting the wall. <laughs> and... We're, we're all, I mean, it's hard to be isolated. It's hard to be scared. It's, it's hard, the schisms in our society as well. And so I think it's just good to remember both to really focus on who is most vulnerable and that there's a lot of different vulnerabilities. So that's a lot of people. And also we're all vulnerable, right? Everybody needs extra care and love right now. It's hard. We all need extra care and love. But that's the gift, is that we can give that extra care and love. And, and while we have been talking about local and the importance and the opportunity to care for our neighbors, I think the fact that COVID-19 is a, is a global pandemic has also reminded us that we all belong to each other, yeah. that we are all created in the image of God, that we all breathe the same air. Amen. You're right. That, that's a message that we've needed for a while to, to understand the, the human connection that we have and the need for us to care for one another, not just in our neighborhoods or on our streets, but across the globe. And we're figuring out how to do that now. Each day is a new day and brings new information. Uh, as I shared with you earlier, I've been reading um, Margaret Wheatley, who's a sort of a spiritual leader and a leadership professional. And she says that in order to create these islands of sanity, we need to focus on relationship, which I've heard every one of you say. And we need to give people time to think together 
because thinking together creates possibilities that we didn't consider beforehand. So I'm seeing one of the other maybe silver linings, and this is not across the board because I know I know have I have know some people that are homeschooling their children and trying to work and they don't have a, a minute to think. But there's some of us that do. And so I'm rereading Meister Eckhart, I'm rereading some of my favorite classics. I'm thinking deeply about things and I am reevaluating where I've where I've put my time and energy. Yes. And I haven't all haven't got it all figured out, but this year that I've taken apart from the church to figure things out has given me an opportunity to be with my kids and my grandkids and my relatives, my sisters, a friend from college. And even though we're supposed to be distancing, we're doing our best to do that. It's just, it's opened some doors. That's opened some doors. It's also opened doors for us to see things that we didn't want to see and we can't avoid seeing now. And while some of that has been extremely painful, I, I find it to be hopeful. So without being real specific about any of that, do you have anything to say? Well, Betsy, I, I really think you, I have to chime in on that because it's given us an opportunity to reflect about our own vulnerabilities and to reprioritize our life, uh, where we give our time, what became important. You know, I, I don't remember time. Um, and, I, and I talked to some of the elders and the older people who said they never remembered a time where just thinking about life was so important. And many of them say that last time they thought about life, the way they were thinking about it was when they was enlisted in the army or in Vietnam. But other than that, life was taken for granted. They didn't uh, think nothing was threatening their livelihood. And all of a sudden, it not only became something that was individualized, but this was shared vulnerability. And to experience something that was so shared, it has been a blessing in a lot of ways. I found myself, um, even as a leader, slowing down conversations, asking people when they don't seem to even give any symptoms, asking them, are you okay? Um, I've never asked that so much without calls. I have no calls. And now I find myself just asking people, are you okay? Or calling them. I'm just calling to see everything's well. You know, I've never been so deduced down to this level of vulnerability. And while I think I'm a pretty nice guy, I think the climate has produced some good that we should take from it, hold on to it, and run, and run with it. Right. Well, the African-American community in particular has um, felt pain that the rest of us have shared, but have not felt as deeply. And... I think we're all beginning to understand that. And we are, I think we're going to go ahead and go take a question from the audience. It's about that time. And this is a hard, it's not a hard question, but it, it opens the door to reflect on, on some of what's happening in the streets. The question is, there's some risk of people pouring into the streets to protest after November 3rd. We've seen protests another other days because of George Floyd and some of the other injustices we've seen. But this is about after November 3rd, protests may last weeks, they may attract violence, they will certainly be dangerous because of COVID and proximity. And the question from the audience is, what role are you panelists willing to play in de-escalation and support on the streets of Tallahassee? It's sort of a hypothetical 
Who wants to take that one on? Tim, you can't wait. Go ahead. I'll say something. I mean, I, I, I'll just say this. So what I've been, I've been preaching the last couple of weeks to my parishioners is, you know, we need to, and I invite everybody watching, and I referenced this the last time we were together in person, it was a great article by Arthur Brooks in the New York Times called Our Culture of Contempt. And I think everyone should read this article, especially before the election, and should read it every time they sign on to Twitter or any of these other platforms. We have to start to see each other as good, right? Uh, Betsy, you told the story, a great story right there with the, about the zoo. You ran into people who probably have different views than you. And you were like, wow, these people are nice and we're friendly and we're working together. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. You know, we, we all are like this, but we have been, I feel, kind of corralled into thinking otherwise. That, the, you know, the people who disagree with me, whether it's of faith, whether it's their race, whether it's their political views, are somehow my enemy. And therefore, I can't deal with them or I can't speak with them or I have to judge them before I can even. And I, I think this is what's leading to the sort of hostility and polarization. I would say this, whatever happens on the election the next day, I mean, assuming that things are fair and legal and just as they right. should be, as, as they always have been, I will wake up in peace because I don't put my faith in the White House, first off. I don't think the president of the United States is going to save me or this country. I have more concerns about our country, and I don't think they're going to be answered necessarily in the ballot box. That's not my savior. Uh, that's not how I view things. So I will be at peace no matter who wins. But whether it's... Uh, going to be President Joe Biden or President Trump again, I, I respect the views of my citizenry. And like, no matter what conclusions I come to, I just invite everybody that we need to respect one another. And I, I, if we study the, the history of the Civil War, when Abraham Lincoln was, was won the election, they immediately began, the South began preparing plans to secede you know, before he did anything. I mean, and that's, and I, I'm afraid of, of this is kind of attitude that's, that's happening in our country is sort of, you know, I don't agree with my neighbor. And so we're just going to separate or we're going to have violence or so on. So I would encourage people, there's nothing wrong with protesting. It's peaceful and making your, your voice known and so on. But we do have to try to, there has to be some sense of, of, okay, we need to get to an understanding that we, we are neighbors, brothers and sisters in our society. Right. So I'm trying to field uh, what I'm hearing and then with the, the little chat box. So bear with me. But I think this question that was asked actually before your comments raises another question. I, I'd like to direct this to William, because um, I think this probably happens as a Unitarian Universalist in the South more often than it happens to, to the rest of us. What is your advice for those times when you encounter someone whose beliefs are more narrow than your own or who might be more guarded toward you because in that person's mind, your beliefs are not orthodox or proper right belief. And it could be faith or it could be politics, but we're staying away from politics. So, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, you need to judge the context of the moment. Uh, I'm reminded of wisdom that I learned from my spouse who worked as a birth doula. And, you know, when you're telling the story of giving birth, you're going to tell a different story if somebody asks you, how was, how was the birth process in the grocery store line that you don't know versus a close friend in your living room? So the first thing I, I want to say is it's not always safe emotionally to be vulnerable with people if, if they're really hostile to your viewpoint. So you, first you want to discern how, much, how vulnerable am I going to to be in this situation in my sharing. Yeah. I say that as a religious minority, right? Like it's not 
sometimes you do meet with. Be smart. Yeah, and the other thing I, I is actually related to the question that was asked before about the protest, but I think it applies to this question as well, which is when when people point fingers, when people blame, and also just when people are angry, you know, for good justifiable reasons, there is pain there, right? This this today is the title is our broken hearts. So you know, I would encourage us in those moments those everyday moments with people who have different views connect at the level of that broken heart space, right? Right. Look for where is this person's pain? And I think that's what I would like to bring to, to the, if there's protest, right. Listening here is this question. Yeah. Where's the broken heart? You know, what is the pain that people are experiencing that has them need to go out into the streets, you know? So much of it. It's so layered right now. We, we do have a hand raised, which means that we are going to get to hear a, a question verbalized to the panel. So uh, go ahead, Eliza, Linda, what are your thoughts or question? Hi, I am just really concerned that people with weapons and the people that are threatening everybody that's not agreeing with their viewpoint is going to really, really cause riots in this whole business after the election. I mean, they've actually talked about that it's a possibility and it's very, very troubling to me. It's very troubling. I know I beat this, I know I beat this horse a lot and I'm sorry, horse, that I've beaten you up so much over the years, but I got to say, I mean, why do we think that? We've been a country for a long time. Where are these ideas coming into our heads? We say they keep talking. Who's they? It's the media. Everyone I talk with who is, is angry, and I don't care what side of the political spectrum, they're mad. And where is this coming from? We've been a country now for a very long time. And we've never been afraid of, of violence and being threatened and all of these things. And I, in my real concrete life, I meaning the human beings that I interact with on a daily basis and see on the street, I don't sense that from them. And, and I don't sense that from people I disagree with. I don't feel like anyone's going to beat me up. Or, so where does these ideas coming from? And I, I think I can't help but think that by talking about it more and giving it more credible or credence, like, we're putting ideas into people's minds. So maybe I should go get armed. We, we saw during the, the, the protests this past summer, gun sales begin to spike, I'm sure, from people on different positions because they start seeing the stuff in the media. And they think, oh, my gosh, I got to defend my home. Uh, rioters are going to show up outside my home. I mean, we had protests here in Tallahassee. I mean, that never happened, obviously. I mean, they were peaceful, I believe. I, I've heard very few occasions of some something, you know, happening vandalism or something like that but for the most part overall very peaceful but where are these ideas coming from so i just want to tell you if you're feeling anxious give the news a break that's my advice give news a break yeah good good that's a spiritual practice we should all embrace take a a news break there are good people in this community and i think go out look at your neighbors meet your neighbors talk to them i have many friends i disagree with great relationships with I don't feel threatened by them or anything. So these ideas, I think, are, are kind of imaginary and probably not going to happen right outside our doorsteps. We have another question, and it's really a follow-up to um, Pastor Joe's comment about respecting people's choice. Let me read it to you. It says, um, 
I appreciate Pastor Joe's comment about respecting people's choice and how we protect ourselves and others, mask wearing, gathering in worship, etc. But when other choices affect us, as in they don't wear a mask, that potentially affects me and my loved ones, how do you recommend dealing with that? And somebody else added, we have made rules about not smoking. How, how would you answer that question if it was a person in your congregation asking? Oh, I, I would answer it that you do what you can. I, and I, I tend to be very simple when things seem to be complex. And so because you can't really control a person, but you can control yourself. So that's when you try to move yourself out of that environment where you feel threatened or harmed or anything of that nature. You just remove yourself. And that's as simple as that I try to make it. So if I'm in an environment, and I was, I was in an environment where I felt like masks should be worn and a person felt like they didn't want to wear a mask and they were talking and all about socializing. And I just felt like, hey, the way I view everything, I think this is appropriate time for a mask. The person didn't, and I left. It's simple as that. And I know everything is not that simple. But sometimes I think we try to, again, force our standard upon a person when we can just remove ourselves. And many options are is just to remove ourselves. It's not a sense of defeat. It's not a sense of anything. It's wisdom. I can't control them. I'm not going to start a conversation that's not going to end up at a good result, right? So if they're argumentative, that's not the thing to do. I have a relationship. Let's say relationship. Let's, so let's take it on relationship. If I have relationship with that person, maybe a conversation works. But if I don't have relationship, bond, eh, I may be going up a hill and I just need to exit. So I know it sounds simple, but remove yourself when you can. Well, no, I think that uh, I think what you're talking about is wisdom. And it's similar to what William said about, you know, vulnerability. You're wise about how you handle individual situations. But I also just want to say a real quick soundbite, and then we're going to go to Karen, who has a question she'd like to verbalize. But listen, no shoes, no shirt, no service. I mean, there are, there are some places where it's okay for the establishment to say, you may not come in without shoes, you may not come in without a mask. So I, I think sometimes we're making a bigger deal of something that's very simple than we need to. And people have tried to politicize mask wearing and Right. You know, I agree. I'm not having that conversation. I'm just going to be wise and step aside with, with that person. But anyway, Karen, you have a question for the panel. Yes, I'm a member of Rev Lives. Regardless of what has November 3rd, I'd like to ask the panelists, how can we come together both locally and nationally on November 4th? Great question. Yeah. Great question. Well, Father Dustin, I'm going to I'm going to ask you to answer that but I'm I'm going to ask you to answer that based on what I've already know about you and about Zeros of House the whole concept of accompaniment could you answer that from that perspective Absolutely uh Betsy I think if anything we're realizing is you know we we kind of live also many of us can easily live in this kind of the media the abstract the narrative that's coming at us and it distracts us from walking, accompanying those around us. You know, we talk about, you know, people have just mentioned the violence and uh, the fear of all that, but talk to the people that live in the area code or uh, zip code 32304. Right. I mean, they violence is a reality for them. So, you know, right. Yeah, Tim. I mean, it's, it is a reality. And I think what we do to me, you know, we can start doing it today is, you know, as, as people have, 
faith or no faith, people of goodwill, is, is really start thinking about concretely, how do I know my sisters and brothers in Tallahassee? Forget about what's going, I mean, I'm not saying forget about what's going on in DC and, and other parts of the country that, you know, that the, the news stations want to take us to, but what about the realities of, of people that live in our communities? And so I, I believe what it means to be civil, it means who are those that are the most in need in our city? And actually to, to be political isn't to be partisan, to be political is to care about what your city, what's happening in your yes. city. And, you know, I, to me, I think we can, if we can create spaces, and I know there are different ministries, different organizations that are doing this, create spaces where people can actually come together and, you know, help someone do some landscaping in their backyard to make it a little bit more beautiful, to uh, address the victims of violence, to be able to show signs of solidarity uh, in so many different ways. And I think for us, it's really incumbent upon us to be creative on November 4th. Well, I mean, to, to today as well, but to really be creative in creating opportunities of accompaniment and encounter with those in our city, in Tallahassee. Well, William and I are a part of Capital Area Justice Ministry. I hope that you'll consider being a part of it too. We were on a call with 166, 177 congregation members, synagogue members, uh, clergy. In fact, your bishop, Bishop Walk, is it Walk? Mm -hmm. um, actually was on the call with us and did the opening prayer. And all of those folks were from Tallahassee. And we're all coming together because we know that there is injustice. We haven't decided on what particular, where to put the energy. But the energy right now is in simply getting to know one another. And you'll hear from Trinity, I guess, I hope sometime on a God Squad, Trinity Whitley, when I was asking her what's been the most impactful of her, of her experience so far, she said hearing other people's stories and being with people of color, because in her normal patterns, that doesn't happen. And she wants it to happen. So, you know, that's fantastic. That's fantastic what you said. Yeah. Can I follow up on what Father Dustin said? Because I think yeah. it's so important and it comes back to the question, also the question about the fear of violence after the election. And, and I see the wisdom in not amplifying those fears, like Father Tim pointed out. And also, I don't know. Right. I don't know what's going to happen. And there could, there could be violence. And there, you know, there's reason to, to be scared of that. So I, the, to the person who asked that, I, I, I feel you, you know, in that space. But I think what Father Dustin has done is pointed us to the fact that there is violence right here today. And not just like gun violence, right? There's violence happening because people can't get access to healthcare. Before I came to Tallahassee, I worked as a chaplain resident. I saw people dying because they didn't get healthcare when they needed it. People who did not need to die, right? Who could have had 30 more years. And, and so I think, you know, when I hear that question, I mean, it's, it is scary to think about that violence in the street and it's so immediate, right? But what about that other violence and that other suffering and those other vulnerabilities? That's actually where I think we should use the, the, the fear of that kind of violence after the election to remind yourself that suffering is happening every day. And what are we going to do to show up for, for those kinds of suffering that we're not even noticing? 
Right. Which is a really interesting way of viewing it. Like these are opportunities. These are cracks that the light gets in. They're not necessarily things that we need to fear, as Tim has pointed out. Um, what's what I've been trying to get to, and I think I'll squeeze it in now, Father Dustin, is when I was reading your website, you have in there just a, a brief description of why you called it Joseph House. I love that. And I think that's kind of what we're doing here is we're saying, well, you, you, you tell them what it says, what, what you meant by calling it Joseph, Joseph House. Well, I mean, first of all, you know, so many of my brothers that I visit in uh, prison and solitary confinement on death row tell me about Joseph. They're the ones that actually started talking about Joseph and why he meant so much to them because of the because he himself was enslaved, incarcerated, abandoned uh, into a pit, but who also, in spite of those horrific situations, had the capacity to dream. And I think to me, that's why we, I mean, we think of Joseph as kind of our patron, if you will, is because of, it's all about reconciliation. His dream was, right, to be back with his family, to reconcile. And so many of our sisters and brothers that are incarcerated, unfortunately, don't have that opportunity, don't have spaces that are created for them to be able to be reconciled. So Joseph is a great sign of what is, you know, how a grave injustice can, if you dream, lead to uh, an extraordinary moment of peace and reconciliation. And it's just a, a sign of hope for so many of the, the guys that are in prison. Wow. Who, you know, tell me about it. So. Wow. So that phrase, dreaming with Joseph, is so powerful. I think about dreaming with Pastor Latricia, that her son doesn't have to walk streets afraid because he's a young black man. I think about dreaming with that person that doesn't have health insurance or health care and is so frightened. You know, if we would begin to accompany people by dreaming their dreams, we can change the world because we have been created to reflect God's goodness and God's grace. And when we think together, we think about possibilities that actually can come to pass. And that's where I'd love, I'd love for us to end our, our, our emphasis. We have a, a little bit more time. I think we have a few more questions, but I'm inspired. <laughs> is, there, is there anyone else waiting out there? Betsy, I just want to add to this Joseph imagery, not only the accompaniment and dreaming with Joseph, but Joseph takes whatever comes into his life and endeavors to transform that right? Like he has ups, he has downs, he's in favor, he's out of favor, but he stays committed to love, right? He stays committed to showing up. And so whatever happens right after the election, I think that's what we need to do to create unity. That's, I think that's what we have to do if there is violence, if there isn't violence, is, you know, how can we take what's in front of us you know, and it's not only Joseph's story. You find that in other traditions. People might know the story of the, the man whose son can't go off to war. And people say, oh, well, that's too bad. And, but, you know, and the horses come. I'm, I'm forgetting. I'm not telling it well. But there are other examples. Well, I've got a, I've got a good story for us, too. Um, not to cut you off, but I, I love this. And this is from one of our audience members, uh, Patrick Dalit. 
a story from four years ago. The Saturday after 2016 election, some of us were gathered for an interfaith breakfast at the Islamic Center, mosque north of town. One Muslim shared that the day after the election, he found himself in his car sitting at a stoplight on Thomasville Road, right next to a pickup truck covered with stickers for the winning candidate. The window on the truck rolled down and the driver was shouting and gesticulating toward our friend who thought to himself, do I ignore him? Do I drive away as quickly as possible? Feeling a little threatened, he decided to roll down his window and not say anything, and that made all the difference as he heard the man with the bumper stickers say to him, you need to put air in your front right tire. I think that really in some ways sums up what each of you have said. We are good at our core. All of these divisions have been elevated by media and and often by by those of us that engage. But today we've we've heard from our congregation, our our, our constituents, what do we call them? Fans. And we've heard from one another. <laughs> fans. That's our, our fans. <laughs> This, we've heard from our fans, and we're glad that you're out there. I wish we could see all of your faces. And I know God Squad's going to be a little different this season with um, new faces, uh, but one of these days soon, I hope we'll be in the same room, masked or unmasked. Either way, I'd like to see all of you again soon. Thank you, Ben. Well, and one person said, and I love this, it's not a question. I just want to comment that this has been one of my favorite God Squad conversations ever. Welcome to the guests and good to see all of you back. Good to see you and I, Tim, She's sharing us. So thank you, uh, peace be with you. Peace be with our neighbors and friends and, and peace, peace be upon us all. Thank you, Vince. thank you everybody. everybody. Bye, thanks for joining us. Hey there, it's Vanessa again, your podcast host. A huge thank you to the God Squad panelists and attendees for this hopeful program. I love this conversation so much and really got a lot out of it. The focus on coming together, healing, finding the good in people, it's all so important. God Squad has an incredible lineup of topics for their 11th season. You can visit our website and subscribe to the newsletter at tlh.villagesquare.us to see program topics and to stay up to date with everything that's happening at the Village Square. And please subscribe to Village Squarecast in your favorite podcast app or on our website at tlh.villagesquare.us slash squarecast. That's also where you can find the show notes page for this episode with links to resources discussed. This podcast is still relatively new, so reviews are especially important. We'd be so grateful if you'd take just a minute to give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you listening to Our Broken Hearts with the God Squad. Until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon, and thank you so much for listening to Village Squarecast.